I'm going to get the tweet out to make sure that everybody knows we're here. Uh, and we will be joined uh, shortly by another special guest host. Uh, Craig is out of action today. He's on vacation. Uh, so for now, it's just Adam and I. Uh, but we will be getting uh, a guest host on uh, it, the Twitter handle. Uh, he is a DC Defenders fan club uh, owner. Um, so he is a big XFL fan. Uh, Adam, not sure if you ever watched the four or five I, games the XFL I didn't had. know... You could be a big XFL fan. Uh, well, so, hey, uh, got someone's got to be. to talk about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, his, uh, he was talking to me a little bit last night and his kind of like story of how he became a Brighton fan just this year is very interesting. Um, he, uh, well, I'll let him tell us, but he, he went fully on the, uh, like the spreadsheet train um, of like working out how he was going to be a fan. Uh, so that was wonderful. Good for him. Um, but for now, let's let's get to it. Uh, let's chat about uh, today's game um, and everything else that went down. So, uh, Adam, how are you? How are you feeling after that? Well, so, yeah, we're recording what? The game was finished up about 20 minutes ago, isn't it? Uh, yeah. What a win. I think there's, there's some of these games where you get by and you're like, well, well we did all right. There's some ups and downs. We just dominated that. We walked in to the London Stadium and made West Ham look pathetic. And that is great. And it's one of those games, too, where you look around and you say, who's man of the match? And there's a couple of people that will stand out. We'll get to that, obviously. But there's also, there weren't really anyone you're like, he had a bad game. Everyone had a good game because it was that good of a performance. And uh, I've only good things to say. Uh, there were some players there that some that weren't too good, maybe in the last couple of games, you can argue that looked good. Estupinian got a you know a little run out and he looked good too. Like it's just, just wonderful stuff. Yeah. Uh, just talking about Estupinian, especially, uh, and we'll get to his actual move shortly, but for a, for a, group of new players, your Mitomas, your Undabs, your, your opinions and in, in teams, players like that. This is about the best start to a season you could ask for for them, right? Like they're not thrown in at the deep end immediately. They're like three games in. All right, Undab, you've got your start. Like we need goals, please. Like we're, we're over three here. Like give us something. We're, we're allowing these players to really like blend in and, and, and make their starts. Uh, and I mean, at least for the the likes of Mitoma and and Estepinian today, it, it's perfect for them because they're getting they're getting these brief cameos and they look like they're able to kind of get up to speed quickly. Yeah, and I think you see uh, we talk about this so often the difference between a well run club and a poorly run club. Uh, I see parallels here with how Sp- I know historically this hasn't been the case, but I would I would say Spurs are a well run well run club right now. Same thing they're doing, right? They're not throwing Basuma and Richarlison in straight away and having them start. Perisic only just got his first start uh, yesterday. Um, just keep your existing team in and then bring them in slowly once they've grown accustomed to the way that you need to play and there's no desperation. And then you look at Man United, who's immediately like, Lissandra Martinez, yeah, sure, get, get in. You're in the team straight away you, and then you're going to get embarrassed by Brighton the next day. Uh it wouldn't wouldn't shock me if Casemiro was like, ah, how do we get him to start against Liverpool? Oh my God, please, can he get in? We can't start with Tomine again. That's the difference. It's so nice to be in that position where you can bring these players in and, at, at the right moment as opposed to this desperation. And who'd have thought 
I know it's so early. You can't draw judgments, but if you'd have said, All right, what's the top 10 of the Premier League <laughs> three games in, would you have included Forest, Brentford, Fulham, us and Leeds in that? I think we, yeah, maybe you'd argue us if we kicked on well, but let's, let's be honest, after selling Basuma and Kukurea, I think the whole fan base was like, this could be an ugly one for the start until we bring in some new players. But what a, what a weird start to the season as a whole. Yeah, it really is. I, I was just saying the same thing to to someone else uh, on WhatsApp. Like, it's just the weirdest start to the season with the teams that are doing well and the teams that are bad. Um, West Ham, I suppose we shouldn't be that surprised by. I've seen a bunch of West Ham fans on social media saying that they've been really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the 2022 calendar year. They're bottom of the league, um, barring those teams that went down and got promoted, obviously. Um, so maybe we shouldn't have been surprised uh, at, at West Ham's performance. Um, but yeah, it's it's mental, isn't it? I mean, Fulham looked legitimately decent. Brentford, uh, who I thought were going to be appalling this year, played really well. Yeah, uh, it's, it's absolutely bizarre. Um, I mean, we're at a stage where Manchester United, for the start they've had, are in a situation where they could be above Liverpool by the end of tomorrow. Uh, and... <laughs> I've got a, I, I, I can be very easily humbled here, but uh, I've got a sneaking suspicion they weirdly win against Liverpool. Uh, and I don't know why, but I think everyone just assumes they're going to get battered. They got battered last year, Salah running ragged. No one expects them to do anything. So I could see Fred curling on in, Sancho weirdly deciding that he's going to play like Pele. Uh, I, I, who knows? But I, I don't. The only concern you have from a, an Albion standpoint is how is this due to us or is this due to how poor they are? But so far we've we've beaten the two basement teams in the league right now. Now, what does that actually mean for our future fortunes when we face some other sides that actually are in a bit better form? Because looking at our run of games at the start of the season, you, we we all collectively said might be tough at the start, right? You probably go, man, you probably no points away from home. West Ham's going to be tough away from home. Instead, it's almost flipped on its head. And now I'm thinking, well, actually, maybe we've got to start worrying about the teams we thought would be simpler. Yeah, I mean, we'll, I'll clip it for you later. So you have the receipt, Adam, but I distinctly remember you saying the first three are going to be very tough and the next two, Leeds and Fulham, will be onto the easier games. Uh, yeah, this is um, <laughs> it's all part of the process. I, I like to try and make the other hosts look good uh, by taking the opposite <laughs> opinion to mine. All right, so we've actually not even got onto the game yet. Uh, we've we've expertly delayed uh, so we could get our third uh, guest host on with Craig on vacation. Um, so I'm adding him to the stream now. Uh, and I'm, uh, Dagan, Dagan, let Dagan. me know how that's Dagan. Okay, Dagan. I thought it was, but Dagan, welcome to the show. How are you? <laughs> Great, guys. It was a fun game. Yeah, it was. It was something. <laughs> um, so before before we actually get to the West Ham stuff, let's let's just introduce the world to yourself. Um, so big XFL fan. Uh, Adam was surprised there are any of them out there. Uh, so <laughs> that, that's a good start. Um, but if you want to talk a little bit about how you uh, got into soccer in the first place, I know it's very recent. Um, and and your methodology on working out that Brighton were the team you were you were going to be a fan of. Um, I think everyone will enjoy hearing. Whenever uh, whenever an American fan decides to follow a team, how on earth your reasoning gets to Brighton over Albion? So uh, take it away. No, that's that's a that's a very reasonable question. Um, so I've been on the periphery for a long time. Uh, my uh, place of work is like EPL obsessed. There's a you know a, a fantasy league. Everyone has a team. 
Um, the teacher that was my mentor teacher uh, when I first came into the school is actually a West Ham fan. Uh, so we were texting back and forth uh, today. Uh, oh, you must be feeling cool. extra, extra good right now then. Yeah. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Uh, and then another teacher who was at our school, who's a former student of mine, um, is a Chelsea fan. He's actually from Chelsea originally. Um, or oh, another good, you can just stroll in on <laughs> Monday and just, yeah. Uh, but uh, he was actually one of the, the helpful figures in helping me sort of find my way uh, as I was talking through some of the teams that made the, the final cut of the list that started with uh, uh, really every, every team outside of sort of the big six. Um, so uh, I'll take you back in time. Uh, it was August 6th, I believe, was the, the day the season sort of kicked off. Is that, is that right? Or at least the, the big part of the, the fixture was that day. Does that sound yep, right? That sounds right. Okay. Yep. So uh, I'm at the beach on vacation with a couple of buddies. Uh, one who adopted Man City in 2011. Um, and then another uh, who is also a Chelsea fan. Um, and uh, the Chelsea fan, he was like, you got, you got to pick a team. Before, before you leave the beach, you have to pick a team. Um, and so I had sort of a fixed amount of time uh, while we were there uh, to pick. We were leaving, but we had just gotten there that uh, that day um, and we were leaving obviously in a week. And so I actually missed last week's game uh, because I was traveling home. So this, this is the first game I've watched as a Brighton fan. Uh, it was this game just a moment ago. Um, oh, wow. and they're all like this, by the way, this is it. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I gathered. Well, so interestingly, before, before I had picked the game that was actually on at the time that he was goading me to be a fan, we were watching, uh, the Brighton Man U game. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that I didn't let that influence me a whole lot, actually. Uh, but I can I can walk you through uh, what what did if you guys are interested. Oh, yeah. I, well, I think this uh, my bigger question is, firstly, I think it's it's nice to hear someone that isn't just straight away just comes in because I saw some stats and stuff the other day where uh, because obviously football, soccer, whatever you want to call it now for everyone is massively picking up steam in the US but it's so top heavy in terms of support here um and that comes down to just the way in which you can be a fan here as well right because if you go into like a shop or anything like that here it's it's the same kits the same jerseys the same shirts and so it creates this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy and all the clubs are doing this heavy branding here which is why everyone does their pre-season tournaments right it's almost like you're obligated to pick one of the big six sides because they're the ones you've seen there's people in the US that are just like I don't know who fuck wolves are where's wolverhampton uh so there's sides you just would never really pick so i think it's nice that you firstly decide you're like i'm not gonna go after but my other i guess my question is at what point does starting to become a brighton fan become glory hunting that because you know it's almost like now if you'd come in and say oh well, i'm a man you fan well, good for you picking a small team that's in the downtrend like that so yeah what very time? good very good. Uh, if we get to talk about transfers and uh, their prospects, I've been saying if if man, you got everyone that they were rumored to get, um, you know, they'd have to have you know three or four sides. Um, yeah, well, they said that that's uh, Nottingham Forest pretty much doing that, uh, doing that in practice at the moment. I'm surprised they haven't <laughs> signed another five people since we went live. To be completely honest with you, but um, um, what, what was your experience with t- so today's game? Obviously, was uh, watching this. Uh, it was a dominating performance. 
uh, from Brighton. Like, what was did is, did you come in expecting that? Like, you saw the Man U game, so you obviously treated to that. But <laughs> these they don't always go like this. No, and I, I mean, I sort of followed along the last game, and it it seemed very sort of back and forth, and even in sort of a tale of two halves, even um, in terms of sort of control. And uh, so I think today I was worried about that. Um, I, I, that we'd sort of settled into that one nil lead and potentially were being a little bit passive. Uh, and I thought, you know, they really got aggressive there at the start of the second half, at least again, from my point of view. Um, I, I'm an, I'm, I'm a neophyte, right. As a, as an EPL fan. Um, and really as a, a professional soccer fan, I've watched my now 10 year old play a bunch of soccer <laughs> for the years. Um, but that's, that's the extent of it. I, and, and because I've been an edu- educator, I've watched a lot of, uh, a lot of soccer as well. And I have a nephew who's playing division three soccer. So, I guess I've seen a lot of it, but I don't know a lot about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, but the grassroots is so strong in this in this country now as well that it's. I think we're just going to see this increasing fan base. And I, I love the fact it sounds like, wasn't it confirmed that we're going to be doing a preseason next year in the US uh, as Brighton? Wasn't that came out of one of the recent kind of conf, little conference things, Josh, right? Yeah, it was, it was originally leaked uh uh, yeah. from the seagulls down under that caused a big drama um but then paul barber confirmed it at the fans forum uh right at the beginning of the season that they are uh confirmed for next year um and i know you weren't on the show but i, I know that the the rumors had been pretty solid that they were planning on it for the year of the pandemic and then obviously covid hit and everything went to crap so uh they were planning on coming over to new york and boston in 2020 um, and then everything went horribly wrong. So he said they were looking at two host cities to come. Well, I say host cities like it's a World Cup. Uh, they're looking at two two places to come to two East Coast places to come. Um, so I would assume that it will be the same ones that I'd heard were the two picked out. I'm assuming it will probably be Boston and New York again um, as the two places that they'll come and see. Uh, and given the fact that uh, Paul Barber has been into the New York City FC official fans bar and met all of the fans there for a bunch of selfies. Uh, New York City FC may be one of those teams that we have as one of our preseason friendlies, I would assume. They're still, and they're still playing at Yankee Stadium, aren't they? I, mean, I need to, I've got to make a call. I need to get them out to New Jersey. It's easier for me to get to. <laughs> Uh, they can play the Red Bulls instead. But it, like, everyone keep your... As soon as news comes out on that, I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves here, but that there's no doubt that we'll be doing a little uh, East Coast meetup for that um, because we'd be insane not to. But coupled that with the fact that we've signed the entire Ecuador national team, we've already got a contingent of other South American players. I do feel, and the, the style of play that Potter has for, for the team, it's an appealing side to become a fan of if you're from, from, from the Americas. Um, and that's exciting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do you want me to do you want me to circle back to sort of like how I arrived here? Let's let's start a little bit on West Ham. Uh, sure. Just to just so that we can get through the game itself, uh, yeah, and then then we'll get onto your uh-huh. origin story, uh, and then we will break into the transfer stuff at the end uh, because it's it's going to be here every single week until the window closes. So uh, we're, we're just going to have to talk about it. Um, so let's let's talk West Ham because we're 15 minutes in already. Um, we are we are now officially, I believe, uh, owners of the City of London at this point. Um, they <laughs> we we waltz into London seemingly every other week whenever we play there and, and get something from someone. Um, so 
We lined up uh, with the exact same lineup again, three games in a row. Uh, is that like a new record for Potter or something? I don't. I feel like we've never lined up with the exact same lineup three games on the trot with with Graham in charge. This that was surprising enough in and of itself. I think. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that at the end of the show last week as well, um, and we sort of concluded that that's probably going to be the case because we don't know whether we necessarily. And this is probably pre Estupinian officially signing we don't have a ton of other pieces that we can move around without breaking the shape of that that team up um and personally we'll get on to this but i was absolutely thrilled to see the the return of the four at the back pathway through of the uh, partway through the game today estupinian came in they're like four at the back let's do it so we get potter's tinkering can come back into play but yeah i surprising in one sense but not surprising in another sense he didn't have a ton of other options to play unless you pulled out Welbeck brought on an Undav and with Welbeck is in a great place at the moment but seemingly mentally and physically signed his new contract this week too so we've got him for another couple of years fantastic news all around so no not a ton of other options in my opinion yeah we were talking about that weren't we last week that there's not a huge amount of uh of changes to that we need to make um, other than again, also the Mwepu, right for Lalana. Um, but when we're when we're unbeaten, um, there's, there's no real need to. Um, so in terms of that starting lineup, uh, and you know we kind of soaked up the pressure early on, first ten minutes as you'd expect us to, um, and then a brand new centre half uh, in for the first time after signing for West Ham, Mr. Kera. Uh, the Germans are not surprised by it. I saw on social media, German fans are just like, yeah, this is this is him every week. Um, but uh, he gives up uh, a penalty to, to Welbeck after a fantastic um, counter-attack that kind of played them at their own game. Um, I'm assuming that we're all going to be in agreement that it was absolutely a pen and inside the box, right? Yeah. I mean, it was close. It was close, Dane, wasn't it? Yeah, right on the line. And... Uh... But hey, look, the history books are already written. It's done. It was official. It was. Yeah. Um, Dagan, you may not know this, uh, but Brighton are statistically the worst penalty taking team in the Premier League last year. Um, so so knowing that, uh, how will we feel in lining up for that pen, Adam? Uh, and, and Dagan yourself as well, you know, penalty kicks are generally supposed to be a give gimme, right? So how will we feel in when Alexis grabbed hold of that ball? Did you think it was going to be him taking it? How were we feeling when it was happening? Uh, I was uh, not particularly uh, upbeat because we are so bad at pens and Fabianski is traditionally very good. Um, and I I have wanted Lewis Dunk on pens for a while because I just don't trust anyone else. But my Macca showed how stupid I was. So uh, how are we feeling with the pen? Good? Um, I... Again, neophyte. Uh, I thought he was having a really rough opening few minutes. He had had a couple of sort of questionable giveaways, some bad decisions. And I was like, either he's going to totally redeem himself and those 10 minutes will be erased uh, or, you know, or he's going to be the hero and, and carried off on everyone's shoulders. And uh, he came through. Uh, I, you know, I heard the stat on the broadcast and I think he'd made two of his three so far in a bright uniform. Um, but I had read somewhere that it was a particular weakness Um and that Brighton also doesn't be fair as well as some other teams on set pieces uh, in general. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, no, yeah. And the last year was sort of case in point of that. There was a, it was all over the place. And we had to have big conversations about all of this, especially <laughs> on the penalty side. But you're right. And 
there, there's been a bit of back and forth in the quote unquote fan base in the last week of just um, is Alexis McAllister uh, getting. There's one side basically saying he's fantastic statistically, his passing is amazing, he's doing a great job for the team. And then there's potential idiots like me that have been giving him quite a hard time uh, because he's been very patchy in certain areas. So you're absolutely right. Like I've, I've in my notes, like straight, straight away, we had that Webster pass. Adam Webster just like, I, I really don't understand how anyone would do that. So, so crossed it backwards and just get... It's the one that almost gave Ben Rama the goal. Yeah, Ben Rama should have caught it in the top corner. And that game just goes in a completely different direction when they're 1-0 up. Um, So that was weird. But then Mac, you're right, just took the ball and just passed it straight at them. And I thought to myself, I don't want to get on this this show again and have to talk bad about McAllister because I want him to be good. Uh, After that, I don't think he put a foot wrong. And I would go as far to say as I, I would potentially say he's he's my man in the match. McAllister, he was fantastic. Credit where it's due. My only hesitation when he stepped up for the penalty was, yeah, recent recent memories of him not being particularly great. But he also made me nervous because he just took ages. He just paused. And I was like, is he having a breakdown or something? And I thought I could see this big save. I don't know what. In fact, they were talking about how Fabianski's great at penalties. Oh, God, but now he buried it. It was great. <laughs> he's he's made more penalty saves uh, than any other goalkeeper in the Premier League. So if there's anyone that's going to be making a save, uh, it is him. Um, and then, yeah. ironically enough, the worst penalty taking team last year score against the best penalty goalkeeper in the Premier League all time. So that was a wonderful <laughs> so way to start. Stats are four to ruin them. And and yeah, and Man City have started slow against Newcastle. If you're listening to this live, um, yeah. That's uh, hey, so it's good to see Newcastle potentially uh, get hammered here. Uh, I, I, I just want to mention what Jimothy is. Jimothy, yeah, okay, sure. Has said in the chat, the problem is Mac is not a natural defensive midfielder, so he looks a little more comfortable at times. Hopefully, he grows into it. Yeah, we've talked about this at length, right? He's not natural, so he's playing a bit out of position, and he's got to learn it. I almost feel like Potter's trying to make him into that that what Pirlo became in his later years where he's that sits back a little bit. He's officially a defensive midfielder, but frankly, he's more about how do I sensibly build up play from a deeper role? He's starting to get really good at that. He's not the best defensive midfielder. When you think about what is a defensive midfielder, like he's not Casemiro, uh, but when he's on his day, I mean, his pass accuracy is tends to be at the top of the charts for us. Yeah. I mean, when you look at him for the football manager fans out there, which is me, uh, he is the absolute quintessential deep line playmaker, isn't he? Like that's yeah. exactly what he does set on defend. Like that's, that's exactly how he plays his entire game. Um, and, you know, we'll get to the second goal in a little bit, but that's kind of exactly what he was doing that led to that, that second goal. Uh, and I could speak about that for ever just on that first, well, first and only touch from Pascal Gross. Um, but Can I, I'm gonna I'm gonna rudely butt in just before we leave the penalty, yeah. Um, because I, another bit of credit, he was the one that intercepted Zuma to even start the run uh, from Trossard and the ball into Welbeck that earned the penalty. Uh, it was a great cutout when Zuma tried to pass it to his left. We all hate Zuma for his all of his crap, that is animal abuse and all that stuff. Wonderful to see him get embarrassed, but credit again that that was the defensive work. He cut out that pass there. One of his he had a couple of interceptions in the game. Good work from Mac. 
get really put a cat amongst the pigeons, didn't it? With that, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Someone has to. Someone has to. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, it was superb. Um, and after the goal, uh, you would assume. Uh, given that West Ham have, have not scored a goal yet this season uh, and are, you know, at home, third game of the season, desperately need to turn something around, you would expect them to come back after that goal, firing on all cylinders. Um, after that goal, up until half time, uh, they edged possession by a point, uh, didn't have a shot on target, and generally didn't look particularly in control of the game whatsoever. Um, Dagan, how did you? What did you think of this man? Uh, this man seaside. I've got that on the background. Uh, what did you think of this West Ham team? Um, knowing that they'd lost those first two and knowing they'd be fired up, did it surprise you that they had nothing to offer for the rest of that half? <laughs> what the? the <laughs> this isn't much, but the opening three minutes they did. They did show a little fire, right? They they really came out. Uh, we were sort of looked a little shaky. And I was I was worried at that juncture for sure. And then sort of we went on the sort of just we're going to slow it down. We're going to be patient. We're very deliberate. Possess the ball. Move it side to side. Uh, several times it looked like we had chances, and we just said, "Ah, it's not a great chance. Let's send it back um, and wait." And um, you know, just, just jotting in my notes, I was like, "Wow, this is they're just being really, really patient," um, which seemed to pay off. Uh, and other than the again the opening of the second half, um, where before that second goal it felt like West Ham had shifted uh, the balance, especially they looked particularly threatening on on their set opportunities. Uh, I thought, and uh, you know, got their head on a couple of balls there. Um, the midfielder uh, Susek, is that right? Suchek, yeah, Suchek, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Suchek got his head on a couple of balls. Um, Sanchez made a couple of fantastic, you know, punches. Uh, but yeah. Two identical mirror saves in the second half, like about thirty seconds between them, which is slightly weird. But and he's why he is one of the best headers in in the Premier League. Suchek as well It's always scary when he gets on them. But um, yeah, they we have to add the fact that they did play in the nation Euros. What is the stupid Europa? Euro conference thing in, in against Viborg or whatever on Thursday? Um, yeah. But I didn't know. I was thinking before the game, like, is that a benefit to them or a negative? And at this point in the season, your players aren't tired. But it's almost a benefit because you get another kind of preseason game in to get the fitness up, get more use, especially when you're in a bit of a slump like West Ham have been. Uh, and they win. So you would have thought they come out of that. And there's some confidence there. Like, oh, actually, hold on. We're half decent here. We can figure this out. And if anything, as you say, like, they came out pretty hot a couple of chances in, in the first few minutes and then they just we scored and then we got better we maintained pressure we maintained possession they looked really vulnerable from corners a couple of times there were a few bouncing balls where if it fell a little bit differently we could have gone 2-0 up and I think you heard you saw and heard the frustration from the fans well they got booed straight as half time here um, and Lalana and, and Mac were absolutely controlling the game, and to an extent, Caicedo too. I think of, the, of our grouping of four midfielders. Gross was probably the weakest in the first half, but we'll get on to what he did in the second half, which was well. Um, but they they ran it. The, they were, the machine, the engine was ticking along perfectly for, for Brighton. And yeah. To, to your point about the midfield, I actually texted my, my West Ham friend, and I was like, do they always just avoid the middle entirely? Because it seemed like they wanted no part of Caicedo in the middle of the field. Um, the first two times they went to Bowen, Bowen was on the ground clutching his Achilles, 
uh, yeah, he went really, down. I thought it was really minimal contact. Yeah. Um, Sato really was just anchoring the middle of the field, and they seemed like they just wanted to go up the sides, which he said is pretty typical for them. Um, but it really stood out to me again, just as an observer. It's, it's a good point. They try and destroy down the middle for the most part, right? But between you know Declan Rice normally trying to break up play and 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 a couple of the others that we we'd mentioned before, like Soufal and Suchek and all that, uh, they they break up and then they almost play a little bit like Spurs light, where they try and push out to the wings. Um, and, and because Bowen is probably, I would say, their their most promising, exciting player. Um, but you saw that at the start, right? You saw them trying to put pressure on our left and right backs. Um, but they just they just fell off. And when we start getting possession, they couldn't do anything. I was nervous. I don't know about you, Josh. But how many times have we talked now about the way to beat Brighton is you sit back, you stop anything from happening, and you counter, and you score, and that's how you win. Uh, and they tried to do that, but then they just didn't do the, the counter bit properly <laughs> at any point. Yeah, that's that's something I was going to bring up as well. And they kind of just gave up. Like you said, they just kind of gave up on it uh, after that first kind of like two or three minutes in the second half. That was kind of the last time we saw him try that. Um, and it's weird because last year and, and at the beginning of this year, before before a ball was kicked, there was a lot of, you know, analysts and experts saying that a, a midfield duo of Declan Rice and Thomas Socek are, are arguably pound for pound the best midfield duo in the league. Uh, including your top six teams. Um, and they were... Including body. Fred and McTominay? Surely not. I know, I know. It's a controversial <laughs> take, but... Uh, well, I suppose they get something right every now and again. Um, but yeah, that I mean, they were they were average today, uh, at best. And and Caicedo, and as we've just said, Alexis McAllister is not a, uh, a central defensive midfielder, uh, but he is doing his best in the role that he's in right now. He's getting used to that role. And... You would assume that Caicedo and Mac against Rice and Socek should be a very one-sided affair, um, with with Caicedo kind of just ganged up on, um, and it wasn't the fact wasn't that at all. Uh, they were they were absolutely hemmed in, um, and like you said, the the only time I was really worried, um, and, and Bowen is there is generally their best player right going forward, um, and yet it was all Ben Rama today. Um, I thought he was the only one that looked like doing something. Um, and I is think he that, meant to be on the way out as well. The rumours that he's heading off. Oh, is that? No, I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, that would be a big loss for them because I thought he played the only player in their kind of final third team that played well today. Um, yeah. And and that may also be because he was up against Solly March and Veltman, which is the weaker of the sides, right? Like that's that's just how it is, um, and it's covered by Mac on that side, which is that kind of weaker trio of the, of the three, you know, you'd rather have Trossard, Webster and Caicedo um, than, than the other side. But I mean, even then, like he didn't offer much. Um, And once we got into that second half uh, and, you know, they took over really for that first 15 minutes, they still hadn't had their first shot on target until about 62 minutes. They they still hadn't had a shot on target. And that shot they had was that four hours one that just went straight to Sanchez. They didn't have a meaningful shot on target until the 80th or 81st minute where they had those mirror saves. Um, despite piling on the pressure in that second half, the, the crowd, man, like when they it hit that hour mark um, and you heard it, just they were so unsettled. Um, and it can't be easy to play uh, in a big soulless bowl like that. And then the only time it isn't soulless is when you're just being booed relentlessly for everything you're doing wrong. 
Um, I thought they were. I thought I thought it showed today. They they had a little going on. Um, I, I saw that Skamaka put back on his vest and booze rang out, and I was like, "Oh boy, here we go!" Like they're they're in big trouble here. Um, and I think it was shortly after that uh, when when he put that vest back on and and uh, he finally come on. Uh, everybody went crazy for him, and about three minutes later, uh, the sequence went in that, that ended up putting us two 0 up. And by then, the the introduction of Skamaka and the happy West Ham fans were happy for about four minutes, and it all just went to shit again. Did he touch the ball? Uh, I don't. I, I don't really remember. <laughs> and but we talked. The, the, your point about the central midfielders and 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 how strong potentially they are. The same conversation people talking about Newcastle, right? Oh, Bruno Guimaraes, he makes the whole team tick. And, and you went on a couple of podcasts in Newcastle, the previous game, and he was he didn't do much against us either, right? They had to funnel the ball out to the wings. The, the way in which we structure that midfield at the moment, which is essentially put four bodies in the middle and to, to control the game. Um, and everyone else is there for just as an outlet once we have time to push up our wing backs and control the, and control the game. So I'm less worried about teams that almost have these, these quote, fantastic central midfielders or fantastic central midfielders because we we just get rid of them in the game. We, we control the possession so much, they don't get a look in. Um, but the other thing, I, if you want to get some enjoyment, I always have to go on the other team subreddit when they lose against us. <laughs> um, if you want to go, go on Reddit slash R slash hammers right now. So you, you, just to get a glimpse into the psyche of West Ham fans, uh, the top post right now is, is an old coffee mug that just says put at the bottom of the table. There's a picture of Mark Noble's face on Jesus uh, as the only man who can save us. What happened to this club in such a short time? And Thomas Suchik is our biggest liability. So if you want to know if you've, really outplayed the team just go just do this <laughs> completely hopeless, hopeless yeah, when you when you've got jesus photoshops you know you've beaten them well <laughs> yeah when you can only turn to god um it's, it's not it's not a good place to be um and uh you know, <laughs> i'm that, afraid water on the screen <laughs> uh, that second goal though um you know we we won the ball back in midfield very quickly uh, McAllister looked forward, uh, played it through to Gross, um, and that touch to to break Trossard through, and that's our left wing back Trossard, by the way, that's breaking through the middle of the pitch as the highest man up. Um, I mean, what a perfect sequence of play that was for for the Albion. It was very anti Potter ball almost, and the fact that we didn't take any time to to you know put things together. Maybe you know the start of last year, that's something we probably would have done right. We'd have probably slowed it down. Um, and lost the ball or, or maybe had a chance a little bit later on. But nope, uh, very direct, very quick, uh, one, two, three, goal. Um, kind of came out of nowhere as well. Uh, that's the biggest thing, I think, this year for Potter, isn't it? We've we've adapted yet again to be able to make the most out of both being a possession-based team and then being happy to hit teams direct. As Ten Hag said, uh, we played exclusively long ball against them, which was statist- <laughs> statistically and factually wrong, but I wouldn't expect a Manchester United manager to understand how football works anyway. So <laughs> we, uh, you know, but we are happy to be more direct uh, when we want to. And what an unbelievably sexy sequence of play that was to, to, to score the goal. 
Yeah, I received three texts instantaneously, and I think somehow my feed was slightly slow. So it was all like, what a pass, what a pass, what a pass. And then I saw it. And I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, so I knew what I was looking for, but it was incredible. Um, you don't I, – again, if you if you get a chance to go back and watch last season, Dave, and, you, and, and despite the fact that we had an incredible finish, best ever finish, there were a few long patches of games where we were, well, to be kind, pretty diabolical. Um, and it didn't look like we knew how to actually do what we did there, which is bring a ball down, do two just strong passes and a, and a quick little shimmy or turn, get it through in and goal and just score. It didn't seem like we could ever do that. We had to like pass the ball around, maybe put a cross in, hope for the best, bounce the ball. This was like a, a hot knife through butter, wasn't it? Like The ball just was up in the air. Casado brings it down, goes to McAllister, he dwells on the ball for about two seconds, picks out a pass. Gross, just, I don't even understand how it quite, was it like an outside the foot flick? And he then turned and went down. Um, and then at that point, Trossard's composure was fantastic. But he was, it was one-on-one. He was just through. But yeah, anyone who questions, can this team actually create a chance from open play and just be quick and get it done? Watch that goal. It was superb, just superb. Uh, yeah, as Jimothy said, it was it was that formation change, right? The the four at the back, you're so happy to see, um, and it pushed Trossard much further up. Um, well noted, Jimothy. Uh, that's my fault. I'm looking like Ten Hag out here with my statistical analysis. But people got bored of me saying this last year when because we had some a bad run with the four at the back. But the the benefit of the four at the back is it it does allow you to play a bit more direct, um, and that's sort of case in point. Not entirely down to that formation shift, but. Uh, yeah, nice to see. Yeah, it really was. Um, shortly after that, the triple substitution from West Ham feels like we're seeing this every week now. Uh, when a team don't know what on earth to do against Graham Potter's Brighton over Albion, they just throw on four players at once or three players at once and see what sticks. Um, as of yet, after three games, nothing has yet stuck to that wall. Uh, nothing has worked. Um, and shortly after that, they did have some of their best chances um, with those two headers late on uh, in the 80-81st minute. And if one of those goes in, it's a real squeaky bum time, is it, that last 10 minutes? Um, but uh, last season, you know, those those one of those may have gone in just from a defensive mishap or the ball being palmed out by Sanchez lands at, like, Veltman's feet, bounces off his back heel and goes in or something like that. We saw it, like, four or five times last season. Um, but none of, none of that. It was it was two great saves. Um, and, and then we expertly got the ball away um and Esther Pinion, i thought was a big part of that that calming down uh part of that game i thought he was really good and what a difference it makes to have a guy who's really comfortable playing out and out left back uh come on and, and actually do that role and he about gave us our third goal yeah it was a beautiful ball beautiful solid, ball. solid march decided to forget um we lost his head in some ways you could say yeah, <laughs> that. yeah. That was a, it's, a top scorer, couldn't he, this season? It, if he had a better finish about him. Oh, well, I mean, you, I was a bit harsh on Solly in the last uh, show. Well, so I don't think he's – well, his ceiling is low, let's let's say. Um, I think you probably saw it a little bit there. Uh, I think anyone else I'd want on the end of that, um, that cross. And again, maybe speaking out of not knowing a whole lot, but it, it occurred to me we have – sort of bigger defenders who 
aren't going to sort of sprint up up the field. Uh, we have Lamptey, who I've seen, who I really like, who's who's fast and, and can go forward a little bit, it seems. Um, Stupinon seems like he's a mixture of both, maybe in a way that the team doesn't have otherwise. Right, he's a, he's a stouter, stronger guy, but he clearly can go forward and is really comfortable doing so. For someone that's been a fan of the team for about a week, you already have got better observation than sort of most Chelsea and Man City fans. So kudos to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think there's an easy trap to fall into with. Uh, there's some, um, I don't know, stereotypes that fall in when you sign a South American player, and there's this idea that oh, he's going to be doing like keepy uppies and flicks and all this kind of stuff. But from Estupinian, for the most part, he's basically like an engine. He just sprints up and down, back of edge, good, solid defensively, solid going forward. And you saw that, right? He put in a couple of really good defensive challenges. Um, he put, a, 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 and I was a bit cheeky with this, but pretty much a better cross than I've seen Kukurea do his entire season at Brighton. He, just, he seems just very, very, very solid. Um, I don't think he's going to be like one of these. He's not going to bring out the spectacular, I don't think. But you saw his experience. You saw the discipline of a player that has played in the Champions League and has played against some of the best teams in the world. Um, yeah. But, and there was an urgency too. This is my first, this is my debut in the Premier League. And you mm-hmm. could you could see it, you know, from go that he was there to impress. Um, and it's a good sign that that was the dominant characteristic and not, you know, timidity or nervousness or, you know, maybe shying away from the moment. Um, yeah, none of that. Like he came in very, that's the, again, the confidence of a guy that knows he can play at this level. Um, and I've got no worries about him. Josh, you, you were waxing lyrical when the signing was announced too. I think we're all just honestly a bit stunned that we're able to sell a player like Kukurea for the, for 62 plus or whatever. And then I don't know if the final, final numbers are out on, on Estupinion yet, but um it's nowhere near that. Between 15 and 20, isn't it, Josh? Something like that being thrown around with a little more? Yeah, Naylor had said it was around 14. Um, but most sources are saying it's anywhere from like 18 to 20. Um, yeah. And then when Andy was pressed on why it was so low, he said it's a bit too delicate to talk about. So that could be code for he actually really does know what he's talking about. And there's some kind of uh, like minimum release fee or like VRL were really annoyed with it or something like that. Uh, kind of like that 15 million and one pound or something. Right. Uh, or he just doesn't know jack shit and he's trying to be really smart with his new profile pitch. I think he needs a Don. That uh, doesn't sound like know. Naylor at all. No. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. it's a tough one. Um, Dagan, for, for those not fully in the know, Andy Naylor is our tier one kind of local journo. Uh, he's covered them for about as long as I've been alive, like 30 odd years. Um, and generally he knows his stuff, especially when we were in the lower leagues. He was kind of the guy, the only guy that, that knew anything that was going on. Um, but in the last couple of years, as we've hit the Prem, uh, Brighton have become even more, uh, not, I was going to say shady, but that's not the right word at all, more secluded in how many people know about anything when it comes to our deals. Uh, every kind of transfer is undisclosed fee. Yeah. Uh, every kind of move just kind of almost comes out of nowhere, even if the rumours are in. You know, Purvis Estepinion kind of popped up on Saturday as a rumour, and by Monday he was there. Like, it, was, it all breaks very late. Um, so he's he he's not 100% right most of the time these days, um, and it hurts his ego a little bit. But he's still the best we have, and and he's still a good guy, but he's uh, he's he's a character. Uh, the, the Man City friend uh, shared his uh, Andy Naylor's Twitter account with me during the game today. He was like, hey, if you want to follow somebody who's 
you know, sort of a trusted, uh, seems to be the most trusted uh, Brighton journalist. Uh, here's the guy. So it's funny that you guys should mention that. Where have you found an informed city fan? Like, I don't, yeah. Honestly, I'm genuinely impressed. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's different in the US, but in the yeah. Uh, I have a group of friends who take our sports very seriously. Uh, yeah. So we, we really want to know the lay of the land. And he he's the guy who had done a number of podcasts with me um, covering the AAF and XFL, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, hey, that's great. I mean, there's. I, I genuinely don't know if a single Man City fan in the in the United Kingdom will have heard of Andy Naylor. So uh, I'm, I'm truly impressed. Uh, but yeah, he's he's as close to like a club mouthpiece at this point as we can get. This sort of unofficial club mouthpiece. They they, they slip him the news when when it needs to be off channel a little bit, and he gets a bit of you know gets yeah. gets his credit. So he's going to uh, give us our Woj bombs. I'm, I'm a basketball NBA guy. Yeah, uh, there you go. Exactly. But he, at the same time. He's not, I think, probably, who's who's the biggest, I know Fabrizio Romano is like, he's getting a lot of crap now, and especially with, according to him a week ago, Mope was definitely going to Forest, and that didn't happen, and now now looks like Fulham, so he's changing his tune now. But I'd say Orns, David Ornstein's probably the best transfer announcer in terms of guarantees for, for most of the UK clubs, isn't he? Yeah, he's usually really spot on with it. Um yeah, there's a few of them, aren't there, that are all in that kind of like that tier one bracket. Um, your local journos, though, are going to be up there. Like those ones that are like, you know, your your guy that's covered Leeds for 30 years, your Andy Naylor's. Like, yep. If there's a transfer that those clubs want someone to know about, as long as they're not top six, uh, then they'll be the ones that generally break it first. Um, and that's kind of how it works. But uh, JD in the chat um, I'm curious if there are stats for block shots. Our defenders aren't sure of sacrificing their bodies. Won't be surprised if they're leading. We're leading in those stats. Well, good news for you, uh, JD. <laughs> we do have those stats. Um, so let's talk about overall. Uh, we're fourth in the Premier League right now for blocked shots, JD. We've had 15 successful blocks. Uh, only Palace, Forest, and Spurs are above us. Uh, Spurs lead the way on 19, which is not a team I expected to be up there. Um, and Lewis Dunk today led the led the game in block shots, three block shots. Veltman, Gross, and March as well, uh, putting in work, uh, putting their bodies on the line as well. Um, so yeah, you, you're not far wrong. Um, and let's talk about some players while we're here. Uh, let's talk about Lewis Dunk. Um, we are fast approaching for Qatar. Uh, we were defensively one of the best players. Uh, teams in the league defensively last year. Uh, we are continuing that trend this year uh, with only one goal against. So only Newcastle uh, and Manchester City are, are better or equal to that right now because Newcastle have conceded already uh, against City, who it's now 1-1. So um, it's us and Newcastle with one goal against and then City uh, also on that one goal against as well. So we have the best defence in the league, joint uh Lewis Dunk has been the the captain and standout um and inevitably he is not going to be receiving a call up for the world cup uh, probably in favor of uh Mings who had his captaincy stripped from him uh Cody who was dropped and then transferred out to Everton cuz he wasn't good enough uh or some other joker like Stones who can't get a regular game of football um what what more like how much more of an unsung hero can this guy be outside of Brighton, obviously, because everybody else, uh, everybody within the city of Brighton or anybody who watches Albion know how good Lewis Dunk is. Um, 
uh, you, you've you've um you've triggered me a bit by this because I've been already thinking too much. You know, there's those memes of the guy in bed and his wife's looking over and she says like, "Oh, is who is he thinking about another woman?" And it's then some absurdity. That's what I th- I'm thinking about England's defensive woes. Like that's what I've been has been keeping me up because you're right. Like you can you can't play Maguire. Um, really, can you? I'm sure Southgate will figure out that he will. Um, you can't play Stones. As you say, Mings has been lobbed out. Cody's been turfed out because uh, the Wolves guy knows he can't actually play in a back four. Like that. And then you look down the list and you go, I mean, what has to happen here to bring up a dunk? And before the question was even asked about stats for block shots, I could tell you by not even looking at them that Lewis Dunk is at the top. Uh, he's always throwing himself in front of something. He's been doing that for as long as we can remember. Jimothy in the chat saying Duffy uh, was at the top in blocks, if he remembers. Yeah, I mean, if you watched for the the two, three-year period of time, those two were basically just like diving (laughs) in front of shots, especially when we were not quite at these dizzy heights and we were getting peppered with shots. Uh, These guys were just taking... A, a football in the groin or in the stomach on a fairly regular basis, um, much to their detriment potentially. I don't know how Dunk doesn't get called up beyond nepotism and Southgate being an idiot. That's my biggest uh, take on that. I'm not a Southgate fan. I think he squandered our best ever chance in recent memory to get a trophy because he's a coward. Um, that's probably not going to be a massively um, popular statement, but yes. I don't think it's going to be an unpopular one though. Um, hard to argue against, in my view. Um, and my friends certainly do argue that, but yeah, sure. Oh, do they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I think we're looking at, you know, we're 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 rumored to be in for Jose Sifuentes, uh, if that's the right way you pronounce it, for LAFC. They're one of their super midfielders, um, Ecuadorian as well. Caicedo, Sarmiento, Estepinian. Um, I think we're going to see a very good Ecuador side at the World Cup. And I think in part, that is because we are going to see uh, a group of players that are now playing with each other week in, week out, with or without Sifuentes. Um, and, and surely there is something to be said uh, for a, for a you know, like, like Jimothy said, Cody was only there for three at the back and leadership. Well, You've got a you've got a central defender that's captain of Brighton better than Cody and plays three at the back all the time. Um, so, you know, I I don't understand how it's not happening. Um, and at this point, and I know it's like you know a controversial take, but why not just reintroduce the back three from Brighton of last year at this point, and just stick in Webster, Dunk, and White at the back three for England? Who else would you rather have genuinely, like in that back three? Tomori, uh, maybe, and then you're just bringing in another ex Brighton player anyway. Yeah, <laughs> like, because there's no one else in England. I think he picks White. I think he picks Ben White purely because he's now got the stamp of approval of Arsenal. Um, he's very it, versatile uh, as well. He is a couple of weird bits of play yesterday. If you watched them against Bournemouth, despite the fact that they were, I mean, far superior to that team. Um, I, I think the only thing that you could potentially say is that how much of their play 
and success is is down to the Potter element and and the solidity of this team and, and the tactics that are employed. If you suddenly tell this group of players that Gareth Southgate is going to manage you and what you're going to do is instead of this incredible possession-based calm football that you play, which is all about picking up the right passes and controlling a game, um, you are going to essentially sit back and not really do much and hope that maybe Kane does something, which is, uh, from my understanding, is Gareth Southgate's sort of main tactic. Uh, does it work still? I don't know, but I don't know what the other options are. Are you seriously going to trot out? I know we've now just turned to an England podcast. Are you seriously going to trot out Maguire and, and Stones for the biggest the biggest tournament you have? <sighs> I'm already annoyed by it. Yeah, I mean, me too. Um, on the on the US based things, Dagan, you must be very happy seeing Mister Aronson playing as well. He is for Leeds already. Well, I, yeah. As we get to uh, to my list, uh, that that will come into play. Actually, <laughs> he scored a cheeky no look finish today. Uh, at audacious. Yeah. Uh, let's talk man of the match then. Um, Adam, you may as well go first because uh, you've already given us a bit of a spoiler that who you may well be going ahead with. Um, but it was it was such a complete team performance today, wasn't it? Uh, like you said at the beginning, there was there was really no one to pick out of like, oh, he was a little bit weaker. Um, everybody was just so good. Um, so who have you got as your, your man of the match for today? Yeah, I, I think just redemption arc in my mind. Uh, it's it it's Mac, but um, I'll give a close second. And I'm sorry if I ruined anyone's first pick, but uh, the other one, if you, I'm sure you've looked, you've dug into the stats already, Josh. But Veltman was really impressive today as well, really impressive. Um, but yeah, it's it's Mac for me. That grouping, it was hard to pick between them in the first half between Mac and Casado and. Uh, uh, and Lalana, I thought he was also really impressive. But yeah, great job from McAllister. Yep. Uh, in the Battle of the Nation States, Newcastle have now just gone two one up. Um, interestingly enough, uh, Dagan, who have you got as your your man of the match today? I, you know, I knew from listening uh, to last week's episode that that was that was going to happen, and it was nonetheless still really difficult. Um, <laughs> and I was sort of watching with that in mind and making notes. I thought. You know, when when Webster gave that that ball away early, I thought that would be the end of his candidacy. But I thought the most dangerous moment was when Dunk made that sort of horrendous pass back, um, and Webster sort of came to the rescue. Um, and for me, that was like the most terrifying moment where I thought we looked the most vulnerable to give away a goal, sort of that, that just sort of calamitous mistake, and we all shake our heads. Um, that was the, like the the one single act, other than the gross sort of pass. Uh, that jumped out to me. So I thought he, I thought when uh, West Ham looked their most dangerous, he was our most important player. I think that's a decent choice. Yeah, there's no bad choices today. Yeah, yeah, there is, yeah, there yeah. Is, there's no wrong choice. Um, my list was one of two. Uh, I had Sanchez up there um, because if mm. he lets one of those in, it's a very different 10 minutes. Um, and with the way, the football can work. We all know that that could very easily end 2-2 at that point as opposed to 2-0. Um, and he looked really comfortable on the ball. I thought he played really well today. Uh, there was a couple of hoofs, but they were also pressing quite high occasionally. But Pascal Gross for me wins it. Uh, the assist was absolutely disgusting. 
Um, he was defensively uh, our top tackler, along with Solid March. Four total successful tackles. Uh, interception, block shot, loads of uh, led the way in key passes as well. Got that unbelievable assist. Um, and generally just was, as per usual, a thorn in this team's side, in, in any team's side uh, when, when we're playing them. Um, like you said, I thought he was a little bit weaker in that first half, but uh, the majority of those four tackles came in that first half as well. Uh, so he was obviously working hard defensively, even if it didn't look like it on the face of things, um, which is why we always like to take high test and stats together, right? So we know that everything can be as unbiased as possible. Um, but also just the redemption art for him. Like This was a guy that at the beginning of last year was being forced to play right wing back. And we were assuming that this was his last year at the Albion. Uh, he would be going back to Germany and, and he'd kind of lost a step. Um, and then he played in that kind of final third role again at the end of last season. And it was like, oh, actually he hasn't. Maybe, maybe he's worth keeping on. And we've now gotten three games in and without him, you know, we're not we're not getting points from these games like we are. So he was he was the guy for me. I yeah, um, it like you say, he came on really strong in that second half, didn't he? Especially after a bit of a reshuffle. Uh, yeah, and you're right. Like the two goals against Man U, the creation. I mean, without that touch, that second goal doesn't happen. Regardless of everything else we talk about, it doesn't happen. He's been. Um, yeah, as we've said before, I think we all collectively eat a lot of crow on what we said about Gross uh, last year because he's been nothing short of astounding. That I do want to read out the stat line for Veltman because no one picked him as a first choice. And I think probably, uh, let's pretend Craig did, uh, even though he's not here, because <laughs> three total tackles, uh, so second highest or third highest on the team, six clearances. Uh, which you saw with the eye test as well. Like he was, he was constantly the one like getting rid of that ball and two block shots. Uh, he was really impressive today. He moved around with a tactical shift. He's completely comfortable playing in pretty much three different positions. Um, and we always go back to how much he cost, but um, what an absolute bargain. Um, just uh, going back to Man U. <laughs> You'd take him if you're a man, you wouldn't you? Like Veltman's better than what the other options they've got. Uh, and to be honest, you probably would take him because he's um, Dutch. So uh, that's their signing requirements for the most part now. Played for Ajax. Yeah, yeah, Ten Hag will sign him. Although Ten Hag got rid of Veltman. So maybe that's that, that should have been the first red flag, really. Oh, yeah, it should have been. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. Uh, all right, good, good stuff. Um, I mean, seven points from nine. Uh, these five games that we played, I know I said this every week, but just to hammer home, uh, these first five games we played last year, uh, we took four points from these same five teams that we've got in the month of August. Um, we've already got seven. So we are currently three points ahead of schedule. Uh, three points last year was enough to get us into Europe. Uh, that's That was the gap. So let's not get too excited. We're very early days. We don't know what that barometer looks like, especially for West Ham and for Manchester United. Um, but what a start. Unbelievable start. Um, we're going to get to transfers shortly. We'll talk a little bit uh, about incomings, outgoings. Uh, we have a couple to talk about there with the Mope and, and the Van Heck stuff. Uh, but let's talk about real quick, Dagan, your uh, your methodology on becoming a Brighton fan for any of those uh, Seagulls fans that, that want to know how this, this stuff goes down. And for any, for any fans that are tuning in that, that – 
liked what they saw today and are maybe thinking about joining the bandwagon uh, after they saw like a stateside seagulls tweet or anything. Uh, let's let's do it. Run us through. Run us through your your working. Show your working. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to. Thanks. Um, so, so again, I eliminated sort of the the major powerhouse. I guess the big six um, teams. And then sort of shortly thereafter eliminated Newcastle because of sort of their sudden influx of cash. Um, I didn't want to sort of go that route with one of the teams that sort of had just been bought by someone from afar and, you know, potentially launching them into that top tier. Uh, so what are the you know, sort of first column on the spreadsheet uh, that I've made was, was the owner column. Uh, I was really interested in ownership. I know that can change just as much as players in some cases for some teams, it seems. Um, but sort of, you know, the, the ownership and then the bandwidth and their sort of willingness to, you know, maneuver. Um, and, uh, the next, the next tier over was the manager, um, and sort of in concert, those two things were, were really favorable for me for Brighton. One, um, I love the sort of Tony Bloom, you know, fan as a kid from there, uh, you know, gambler, poker player. I, I love poker. Um, and uh, I was just like, this is great. Like if, if I were to have, you know, a little over a billion dollars, you could buy my hometown team. Uh, that's something I would love to do. Especially a dream life, isn't it? Like you could, you home hometown team, you can become a very successful gambler, make a gambling company and then you buy your team and then put them in the biggest, you know, domestic football and competition in the world. It's like, I, if I, if I could sort of create a life, it might be his. <laughs> right. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm pulling up my uh my little my spreadsheet here, um. So I narrowed it down to seven teams that sort of I generally was like okay these seem like they could be palatable. I think just outside of that seven was maybe Southampton. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the others because there was kind of initial top ten that I didn't even make it to the spreadsheet. But uh, at the bottom of the seven was Everton, Fulham. Nottingham Forest, and I hate to admit it, but I was considering them Palace. Uh, I don't have to hate them now. I must say they looked pretty <laughs> yesterday too. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, we can't say that though. Yeah, they're awful, horrendous <laughs> club, horrible players. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had a final three that I sort of weighed for a longer time. Uh, that was Leicester, uh, and, and friends told me I sort of, you know, I'm too late to that game. They had their their shining moment, if you will. So I can't follow them. I, I, I like the idea of the Foxes. I'm a smaller guy as an athlete and the Foxes never quit, like felt a little bit like me. So I, I was like, ah, oh, that I kind of identify with that, but it seemed like they're on a, a team on the decline was where I landed. Um, yeah. That's like, a fair assessment. They, they, yep. they are. <laughs> yeah. And, and so then it came down to a final two. Um, and, Fulham was in for the same reason as the second team, which is sort of a preponderance of, of American players relative to, to others. Um, and that was Leeds. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, American manager, um, reportedly maybe going to do some of the, the Gagan pressing. Am I, I don't know if I'm saying that wrong or not. No, uh, yeah, I mean, you, if you saw them today, they beat Chelsea because they, God, they're so fit. The problem is they'll they'll do a classic Leeds like mid, midway through the season, later on in the season, they, they'll just look tired and they'll taper off like crazy. At least that's the hope. Um, they're, they're, I was close to my grandmother growing up and their founding year was my grandmother's birth year. So that mm. was like another tick mark on the Leeds favor. Um, and it really it came down to those two. Um, you know, I like the strong American player connection and the manager connection. Um, 
but actually it was it was the fans uh, that sort of tipped the started to tip the scales. That's why the leads kind of had a reputation for a lot of hooliganism and maybe it's sort of the most yeah, disliked yeah. fan base. Um, and uh, when I sort of did the test of like, where would I want to visit? Where, where would I want to live? If I were going to move to England yeah. um, and suddenly yeah. Leeds went to the bottom. Of the- <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't at the top. Uh, West Yorkshire was not, was not at the top, but Brighton yeah. seems an awesome place to go see. So I was like, if I was ever going to go see this team that I start to follow, you know, where would I want it to be? And who who would I want to be there? And it seemed like the people of of Brighton also sort of aligned um, and felt like a really good spot. But it was I've been a coach for well, this is my first year. This year with my first year not coaching, uh, I coached for twenty two years uh, basketball oh, and tennis. And uh, the the style of Potter, the the changing of formations, the you don't know what the lineup's going to be until just before the match. Although again, you guys. But it's a big deal that he's gone with the same lineup for three yeah, matches. Yeah. Uh, but sort of that, I always dislike when a coach is so wedded to his system that he can't change. And he's just like, well, this is what we do, and this is how we do it, and we do it really well. And if a team is better at that than you are, you are going to lose no matter what. Yeah, this, uh, if you've ever followed Newcastle pre this period, uh, you've just described Steve Bruce. You really um, have. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll just do this, see what happens. Um. And so, you know, I know the, the manager could change, obviously, or, or, you know, it would seem maybe one of the, the big teams somewhere comes and finds him. And I, I said to my friends, like, hey, he could leave. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I follow him and become a fan of whatever that team is, too. Um, but, I, yeah, I liked everything I saw from everything he said. Um, and I really liked how they were building the club. Like, I get the idea that they don't have the most money and they're going to they're gonna sell players, um, you know, Cucurella and Basumu, you know, moving on. But it looks like the pattern is, you know, get young players who are talented, build them up, make them better, sell them for a lot, and then buy another batch of, you know, really talented young players and bring them along. And when you've got a really talented manager who is adapting to that personnel, I feel like the chance of Brighton sort of being the up and coming team that, you know, is it going to be easy to break into that top six perpetually or perennially? No, but to be on the outer edge of that and to be in sort of that, you know, higher mid table level uh, seems reasonable given the infrastructure they're starting to put in place and so i was like you know if they don't they don't but for me i was like i seem like i'm getting on with a team uh that's on the rise that has all the right pieces in place to be excited about um and the seagull is a pretty cool mascot uh it's not to like about a seagull well Uh, if you lived in brighton there's a hell of a lot you don't like about seagulls because they're they're (laughs) absolutely brutal creatures uh yeah, yeah they are they are the hooligans uh, yeah they, <laughs> we have the a number we have a of times they swoop in and just grab people's if you haven't seen a seagull grab someone's sandwich out of their hands you've not lived with, because that happens on a daily basis but yeah that's awesome yeah yeah uh, it's like evil. an aggressive dc squirrel yeah in some in some ways yeah they're they're gone oh they're, they're louder anyway but uh, what i like about what you've just described there is well firstly it's you have a different way of being able to, I guess, make a decision on 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 who you support because it's essentially new to you. And it, it, if you grow up in England, for the most part, ninety plus percent of people like they're fans of the club because, uh, oh, you know, my dad supported them or whatever it is. Um, and it's nice though that you can come in and you can actually say you can summarize everything. I do want to question your, question your sanity that you were on vacation and you started having putting up a spreadsheet 
Like that's, that's not, I don't know how you relax, but that's the opposite of actually what I do. Um, but Hey, good for you because you've actually made a decision that, that makes sense as opposed to just being like, uh, they seem the best, uh, which is nice. Thanks. Uh, it was a blast. I had a great time. Uh, my, my buddy was like, make a decision, make a decision, make a decision. Um, and I was just, you know, just reading and, and sort of looking at what was there. Um, I, I hope, uh, reflective of what I was feeling that, that we hang on to Caicedo. Uh, and maybe that's the perfect <laughs> segue, <laughs> segue to the yeah. next, to the next yeah. segment. Um, cause yeah, I feel like if, if they're following that path, we keep him for another, another year or at least this year. Um, because his value is going to go up. So unless we get some insane price for him, uh, it seems like he's got to keep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, let's, let's start with that. Uh, the rumors have been all over the shop. Uh, I feel like just about any, um, any top six team out there has been supposedly interested in. Yeah. It was like um, every one of them came out last week. Yeah. Uh, which kind of means to me that his agent is throwing, throwing offers out there and hoping that someone will bite um, as is the South American contingent of agents, to be honest. Um, that's, we see that an awful lot. Um, but, but as Dagan said, I, it's not going to happen, right? It's going to take a, an audacious, audacious bid. Um, I said last week on one of the Newcastle podcasts, it would take a hundred million for us to actually let him go. Um, and they thought I was absolutely nuts. Um, but like, the more you see it be played out and the more you see, you know, if there really is half of those big six interested, like the bidding war, like, yeah, okay. Like that's what you pay then. Like we don't have to let him go at all. He's still got three years for us. I almost named him the man of the match today for what he didn't have to do because I really feel like they played away from him. I, I don't know, and not to go too far back to the game, but his, the, his ability already to feel like he's been in this grouping of players for years is so impressive. He gets the ball out from under his feet so quickly. He always has a pass on, always a sign of good play. If you watch Barcelona in the, you know, early 2000s, mid-2010s, when you had the Xavi and Iniesta Busquets kind of connection. Um, and it felt like if you if you passed to one of them, you were never nervous because you knew that they had two passes in their head before they received the ball and it would just go to someone. Caicedo's got a bit of that element to him that he knows his pass on and that's just something that is hard to really train into someone. You either have that or you don't, to, to use the cliche. Um, he's special. Uh, but as you say, I don't, I don't, I, there's no need to, if we sold him at this point for anything other than the, the offer you can't refuse, I think that's a really weird reflection on the club of selling three gigantic assets in one window. And unless you bring in someone and go against your transfer policy, that feels like a, a, a superstar celebrity signing almost, then you almost admit that you're throwing the season away for a financial play. And I just don't see that. I just don't see them doing that. Yeah. Um, I think you summarized Kaiseido well there because people, you know, are like, how is he different to Visuma? And I think you've nailed it really. When Kaiseido gets the ball, I think he has already picked out three players in his periphery that he's going to pass the ball to. Visuma was different in that he knew how he was going to maneuver himself as soon as that ball came to get himself into space. 
he hadn't thought about the pass yet. He just knew how to make it. Yeah, you saw that fairly often. He hadn't thought about the pass. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, but he he was so superb at getting himself into space that it then didn't become a problem because he knew where it was like he had the time to then look up and make the pass. Um and I think that's the difference between the two, is that Caicedo is is that that side of the ball. Um and 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 Basuma is the the other way. And I suppose that ultimately is going to be what makes Caicedo the better player marginally, um, if not massively as, as time goes on. Um, because Bissouma, as we've seen, would would occasionally lose the ball in possession because that idea of getting into space didn't work out. Uh, Caicedo isn't running into those because he's generally getting the ball out before that opportunity arises. Um, so fingers crossed, uh, we're going to end up with a player even better um, than, than Bissouma. Um, I personally think that it will be that way. I, I really do. I've said it since the end of last year but yeah uh, to be just 20 and the, i mean there's a toughness to him just anytime they were down in the box you know he was sort of you know nose to chin with some larger figure but just like i'm gonna out jump you and you could see it in his eyes like he he had a belief in himself that for a 20 year old um is atypical and then i thought his like assertiveness with his passes when uh Stupinon came in there was a clear chemistry between those two. I know that's we're sort of backtracking a little bit again, but it, it was it was noticeable to me. Um, and I think, you know, as he develops that chemistry with this team and this unit as the central midfield player, it's he's he's only gonna get better. Um, and I think could be the thing that carries us you know, through that upper echelon this year. Another reason why uh, I think we over-index on this sometimes, but I do think this is a special case of you know, could he leave if the right offer came in? Do you know how rare it would be to be Ecuadorian and have multiple Ecuadorian mates play with you in your Premier League team? What the hell does that happen? Um, so then you go off and you join. There's been lots of conversations, especially within CISO and some of the interviews that you some put out by the club, where they talk about the language barrier and getting comfortable with the team and getting comfortable with the new players. Walking into that situation is a dream come true for a young a young man like that. Um, he's always got a built-in support group. He's got a built-in mates. He must be loving his life. He's living in a good city. He's playing good football for a team that is, as we talk, above Man City after three games of the Premier League. Uh, I, what more can you ask for? You want to go to Old Trafford and, and you're hanging out with, with, with Fred? Like, I, no disrespect to him, or a bit, but... <laughs> that's a really excellent point I, I, it's, it's I mean that's part of the reason I think we're going to I think that's part of the reason we haven't shipped out NCSO so quickly because I know he's Paraguayan so it's not the same but like their 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 geography is the same their style of football and probably how they were all brought up is similar their language barrier is that there's no language barrier um, they have that like I mean we've already seen it right on social media those three uh Caicedo, um, Sarmiento and Enciso are like this already, like they're yeah. like tight as anything. Um, and for him, you know, we've already got Zakiri out on loan. Is it a case of just letting Enciso sit in the in the under 23s, get used to the English style of football like we did with Ferguson last year? And I would like to see him go on loan, by the way. I'm surprised he hasn't yet. Um, and and just let him develop yeah. uh, with the idea of, of possibly even breaking in late into the season when he can. Um with the inevitable possible Welbeck injury, right? I think he didn't get much. <laughs> we didn't talk about it much today at all, but it, again, the role he's being asked to do is just superb. 
uh, currently. Um, we got our left back. We got we got Esther Pinion in, which is a great sign. And we've talked about that a little bit already when we were talking about his influence on the game. Um, you know, this is a guy that uh, it's coming from a better team than Kukurea did uh, in the same league, has played European competition for two plus years now at Villarreal. Um, and again, has the Ecuadorian connection. So he's coming into a bunch of people that he will be spending his international breaks with categorically. Uh, and and has that, again, that immediate introduction into the group. Um, I think there was, uh, I don't know if either of you two saw it on social media, I think it was Fulham or someone else was in for him. Um, and he he said he had no interest in anybody, but Brighton in the Premier League outside of obviously the big boys if they were in. Um, and I'm not going to take that away as a, oh, he wants to come to Brighton because we're so good. I think it's he's he's had three phone calls from three separate Ecuadorian players going, hey, this is a bloody great place to be. And he's like, all right, well, if I'm going to go anywhere, I'm happy here. But if I have to go or if, if the offer comes in and I have to speak to someone, that's the only team I really want to go to because they're the only team I'll feel like remotely at home in. He also talked in the interviews a lot about how um, he was interested in coming because of how much the club seemed to want him. Uh, and I think, uh, and this is pure speculation because we don't know the ins and outs of it, but given some of the stuff you come up with, Josh, last week, and people have talked about this, the, the statistical similarities between Kukurea's style of play and Esti Pinion's, I think they, this was their backup plan for a long while. As the opinion was always going to be, if Kukurea goes, that's choice one. Uh, and we try and get him. Uh, and the club has clearly come out and, and, and made that clear to him. Like They probably came in and said, we've got this contingent of people here. These are our expectations. You will be in the starting lineup and we want you. You are our first choice. Um, pretty impressive. And also like pretty impressive to... to for him to make that move, I know he's probably already wanted, always wanted to come back and prove a point in the Premier League. He talked about that a lot. But he, as you say, he's walking away from European football, appearing in the semi-final of the Champions League. I, this guy has some credibility. Even in for the national team, this guy lines up and plays against Messi when he goes out to the right flank. Like This, guy is, this guy's good. Adam, do you think when he becomes a starter, we go back to four at the back? No, I don't. Uh, I think we mix it up. I think it's an option, and he and he switches it like regular, like he did last year. I don't think it would become a default just because I think he'd be completely comfortable playing the left wing back role, and that's the preferred, the preferred tactic. There's some games where I think Potter will start with the four at the back, just depending on availability of players, moving things around, or just trying to pull a bit of a tactical surprise. At least that's what I think, Josh. You might think differently. Yeah, no, I agree, um, and with no knowledge whatsoever. Um, I almost wonder, given Est Opinion's interviews, the fact that Brighton have been after him for a number of years. Um, I wonder if, and I distinctly remember there was rumours of him um, the first time, uh, a couple of years ago, when he left Watford. I, I kind of wonder if he was the number one choice, not Kukurea. I wonder if he was choice one, and we then yeah, pivoted maybe. to Kukurea. Uh, got Kukurea, who ended up being an absolute goldmine, and then pivoted back to his opinion and was like, all right, like with a bit more cash in the bank and the season under our belt of finishing top half, what do you think now? Um, and and obviously it's worked out in our favor. Um, but I, I do wonder if that was the case all along. I wonder if he was target number one um, and Kukurea was, was that second choice. And it's ended up working out that it was a very lucky 
Wait, yeah, we'll wait, bank the forty million difference in price and go, <laughs> go spend that. I think. Yeah, that works. Yep. Yep. Uh, we're obviously looking at replenishing the midfield, uh, despite what anybody else thinks as to whether we should or not. Uh, with Sifuentes and Billy Gilmore on the rumor rumor sheets, uh, some pretty credible um, journos are both are reporting it from a London standpoint that. Gilmore at Chelsea is a target for Brighton and he could be available for like 10 odd million. Um, I'd hope so. Yeah, me too. Um, I don't know about that one, there, sure. If there is a player, uh, if there is a manager rather, that I would want to trust him with, uh, there's not much better than Graham. Um, but it's pretty clear that we're obviously seeking out some kind of central midfielder there. Um, and I've seen some people on, on social media worry that this is because we're expecting Caicedo to go. Um, and I noted uh, underneath one of those tweets that personally, again, none of us work for the club, so we don't know. Uh, but if you look at it logically um, and the players we're looking at, your Gilmores and your Cifuentes, uh, to me, it tells me that we're we're actually really quite concerned about what we're looking at with Jakob Moda. Um, and we're, we're yeah. looking to bring in another person uh, of the same style of, of Jakob Moda just in case he gets... Uh, is Kiedoed uh, in in the same way, right? If he gets, if this meniscus and ACL stuff doesn't recover in a way we would hope it will, which we've seen time and time and time again in sport in general, um, I think this. If you look at the the players we're looking at, they've got nothing nothing to do with Basuma or Casado. They're not they're not either of that kind of like holding midfield role. They're both uh, the same kind of role that, that you see out of out of Moda. So I think that's that's the logic behind it. Look, if it, it, uh, to to put these Kaiseido rumors to, to bed, um, and let, maybe he does get sold. Maybe that offer does come in because again, I, I don't think any single player is untouchable in this club. It's just a price. Um, you brought in ninety million quids worth of, of of transfer fee already this season. You spent thirty three. You're sat with roughly sixty right now. If you sell Kaiseido. For even around what you sold Kukurea for, you have 150 million in transfer incoming fees, of which again you spent 33 million. If I've got 120 million and I've sold my three best players, arguably, I want someone better than Billy Gilmore. So if that's your plan for when you sell Kaiser to bring in Billy Gilmore, who failed at Norwich, you went down. No, I want someone really fucking good for that. Uh, and I want to be blown away by it. So no, these aren't Casado backup options. I'll tell you that for nothing. Um, yeah, I agree with you on what I'm concerned about Moda. We've been concerned about Moda for a while, but at the same time, we've talked about the fact that we do just need another body in there. And if you're looking at someone like Billy Gilmore, to me, that tells me, let's take on a project. We're buying low on him. He's not worked out. He's come from a decent pedigree. Um, maybe he can can spell us out. I think it also potentially maybe says more about Alzate. Uh, you don't sign Billy Gilmore if you're super confident in Alzate. I don't know what his situation is going to be. But yeah, just let's get another body in. Like we said, your bench isn't really that flexible at the moment. That's before anyone gets injured. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jimothy doesn't think that LAFC will sell Sifuentes with the playoffs coming up. Um, I think similar to the Arbion, uh, every MLS team there's not a single player in the MLS that isn't for sale uh, for the right price. Um, so I think if we come in with the right amount of money um, and there's the right amount of Ecuadorians calling him, um, the 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 offer may well be too good to refuse. Um, and at that point, what can you do to stop him? Um, we've seen it with Kukurea. You can't. 
if they want to go, they're going to go. So if we sign another Ecuadorian, I, I feel like Newcastle will just buy Ecuador at that point. Like, <laughs> they just were like, oh, hey, if these guys are doing it, no, surely they'll get Enna Valencia. They'll buy like something stake in the country's GDP somehow. Like, I don't know what they'll do. Uh, yeah. The Saudi the Newcastle just start staging military coups in South America. Yeah, yeah they were trying to figure they were trying to figure something out. Like they're onto something. Yeah, Ecuador, that's the key. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you just see leaders starting to be overthrown, and it's just Newcastle, not the CIA. Um, all right, so we are uh, we are just about at the end here. I don't think there's much more to cover. Um, so uh, wonderful stuff. Another win. Um, Scooch wants uh, Duffy back because he misses him. That's not happening. Um, <laughs> uh, you might get over you, that one, mate. Yeah. yeah. Do any of you support an MLS team being a US base currently? Uh, I do have a season ticket, Jimothy, to Charlotte FC. Uh, would I say I support Charlotte FC? Uh, not really. Um, I don't really feel sad when they lose, and I feel like that's a good ear marker. Um, but I do like to go and watch regular football at like a championship league one level. Um, and it's entertaining every time I've gone. So uh, if I had to pick, obviously Charlotte FC are it. They're, they're a fun side to, they're a, it's a fun league. The MLS has improved a lot in the last 10 or so years. They are, uh, it's a wild league, um, especially with the disparity between teams. Sometimes it can be like watching a championship against league two team. And it's quite funny. So that would be my one. What about you two? Adam, I imagine you don't follow anyone. Yeah. No, I mean, the Red Bulls would be my local team, but I'll literally watch the MLS if there's nothing else on and I've got nothing to do. Um, and I'll, I'll be mildly entertained. Uh, so that's my review of the MLS with all due respect. Dagan, what about yourself? Uh, I would say mostly not yet. Um, we are close to the Richmond Kickers uh, as our local okay. team. Quite a few tiers down and that we'll, we'll get to a Kickers game every now and again. Richmond kickers is very American in the sense it's, it it's is. pretty literal, isn't it? <laughs> what should we call ourselves? Uh... <laughs> they have a huge like youth organization in our area. So it's like, yeah, one of the, the two major clubs. Nice. That's good though. That's good. Um, they're kickers like... and strikers are the two. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yes, I'll do yeah. it. Uh, I'll do yeah. it. On brand um, for you there. It is. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that covers everything. Uh, so next week uh, we will be back. Uh, do you know when that game is? Are we Saturday for once. I feel like it's hard to keep up. Well, we've got the, the we've Sunday got the Forest time. Green game in the in the in the cup on um, on the twenty fourth, right? So midweek, yep. and then Leeds is Saturday at three pm UK. It is. Um, it is. Which I'm now. This is our most exciting fixture for a bit, in my opinion, because we get to we get to come up against the might of Jesse Marsh, who just embarrassed Chelsea. Two sides that are going to want to press. It's going to be an interesting game, honestly, a really interesting one. This, um, I think it's safe to say we're probably not going to be doing a podcast this Wednesday after Forest Green. Uh, we will be cover- we'll be covering uh, what that reserve team looked like, whether we win, lose, or draw this weekend coming up. Um, I would imagine uh, it will be very interesting to watch. Uh, and if anyone can get a stream, I would recommend it because I think you're going to see a lot of the players that are currently on the bench playing uh, in that game. And it could be really quite entertaining watching Undav, Mitoma, and some of the other names that are on that bench. Uh, and Ciso's got a play, isn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, you would think so. Um, play against, I know I like Forest Green. They're everything you would want in a progressive, smaller club, right? But uh, they're going up against players like that. Um, it could be a really fun night to be an Albion fan just to watch those. Dagan, where, where are Forest Green early. Rovers on your spreadsheet? I didn't hear them mentioned. <laughs> Did not. Uh, yeah, I've, I've considered, you know, looking at some of the, the other tiers and, and you know, picking some sort of peripheral uh, rooting interests because um, that seems fun. Like to root for a team to make it up uh, seems like it would be a lot of fun too. Uh, I don't know if that's permissible though to have like second and third teams. I'm still being oh, indoctrinated on the culture. I mean, in England, no, but you could you know do what you want. I'm you surprised you don't have Wrexham on your list with the American in, investment, yeah. the celeb endorsement. Um, that might be another one to look out for. But uh, did you yeah. about that? Yeah, so Forest Green, uh, just as like a quick intro to them, they are the United Nations recognize them as the world's first carbon neutral football team. Um, and FIFA described them as the greenest team in the world. Them and Newcastle. Uh, <laughs> um, they, uh, they, uh, I believe everything they serve in the stadiums is vegan. Uh, they are hoping to build a new stadium soon uh, out of all wood. The concept is, uh, if you can find the concept pics of that, it's quite something. Um, and up until this year, when Watford stole their manager to feed to the altar of Watford sacrificial managers, uh, he was a very good young manager as well um, that will probably be ruined by, by Watford now. Uh, but they're a, they're a really easy to like, really fun team that just do everything right. They're a, they're a good side. Uh, and Newcastle have just gone 3-1 up with an absolute belter of a free kick from Kieran Trippier. Oh, you're ahead of me. Hold on. Uh, who is third on my bench. Um, so delighted with that fantasy Premier League output. Uh, great. Um, makes our draw look a lot better. It it does, doesn't it? Um, that, that's so, annoying, though. They need to chill out because now they've just taken the, the, the last Champions League place from us. Um, so we need Man City to score one more and then we'll, we'll keep it that. Yeah. Um, so next week, uh, we will be back for Leeds recap. Uh, we'll also be back for Forest Green coverage uh, if we can find ourselves a cheeky stream because I don't know whether anywhere in the US will be showing that. Um, I would imagine your local uh, piracy areas will show it just fine. So Not endorsed by the, the podcast. Not, in, not endorsed by the podcast, uh, but I'm sure there will be somewhere to acquire uh, a stream if necessary. Um, so if you two haven't got anything else, uh, we can wrap. Um, and just have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy the midweek football. It's always fun to have one. Um, and it's kind of the start of a bit of a trend uh, with Fulham midweek and then the transfer window closing. And yeah, it's going to be a fun be a couple of weeks end. here. Yeah. Busy end to August. Uh, Dagan, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah. Welcome. welcome. Thanks for joining us, man. Yeah. Josh, Adam, thanks for having me. And uh, to your listeners, uh, thanks for the assault on their ears. Uh, Everyone wants your spreadsheet in the chat, by the way. You can't see the comments probably, but yeah, you're actually, you might be able to set up a little uh, money scheme here. You could sell this, sell this (laughs) out. I I could definitely uh, work with y'all to get that, get people access. I'm happy. There you go. Uh, One of my other friends who I've encouraged to find a team has added Tottenham to the spreadsheet, which that's not my doing. So I can't claim that. Uh, Well, this is the first money ball based team selection style of, of, of thinking I've seen. So I, I, yeah, I I can't say enough good things about it, but thanks man. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks all.